0: If everybody can, turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13 says, The same day Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship, and he sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, because they had no root, and they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and a thorn sprung up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came to him and said, Why speakest thou to them in parables? And he said unto them, Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him it shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he has. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which said, By hearing you shall hear, and you shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and you shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and they should hear with their ears, and they should understand with their heart. And they should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, but have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth it away, that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that hears the word, and immediately with joy receives it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but endureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended." He also that received the seed among the thorns is he that hears the word. And then the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he that received the seed into good ground is he that hears the word and understandeth it. Which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Let's pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you. uh, You said where two or three are gathered in in your name, your name. Um, here in the midst of us, God, and I just ask you to continue to manifest your presence in this service. Um, As we turn our our eyes and our ears to you, God, I ask that you would um, prepare the way for your word into our hearts, God, that you would be pleased to show us much grace and allow us to see with eyes that see and to hear with ears that hear, God, that we could be changed forever by the word of your kingdom, God, that we would not come and go, the same people, God, but that we would stand before your presence, God, and that we would hear your word, and we, we come before you humbled by your love, God. We ask for any, uh, any forgiveness that is necessary, God, to prepare the way for our hearts, God. We ask that you would not look on our iniquities, that you would not look on our sins, but you would look on your son, Jesus Christ, and you would count him as our righteousness, Father, and that we would appropriate by faith his righteousness and be able to receive the gift of your grace from your hand this morning, God. That the enemy would by no means be able to steal, to pervert or subdue your word as it goes forth this morning, God. I ask you to remove me from the equation, Father. May your spirit um, give me words to speak, God, and may your spirit give me ears to hear, God, and give your people ears to hear, God. We want to be like you. We want to look like you, God. We want the word of the kingdom to bear fruit in our lives, in this church, in this town. We want to be known as your people, Father. We ask All of this because we are a needy people, God, and we know that without your grace, without your persevering love, God, that sought and rescued us, that sought us out and rescued us, God, that we would have nothing to hold on to, nothing to cling to, Father, but you sought us, you rescued us, and for that we're eternally grateful, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we uh, get started, I wanted to... Have you guys engage in a little bit of a mental exercise? And it's it's not yoga or anything. If it helps you to concentrate, if you want to hum to concentrate, that's fine. But you don't have to. But your your mind is a muscle, and it can be exercised. Um, I listen to NPR on the way home, and they don't do advertisements. If you've ever listened to NPR, they're smarter than we are, so they do sponsors, and they, they tell you you need their product. And so they told me one time there was an app for my phone that would make me smarter called Lumosity. Said so work your brain out, and I thought, well, that's the ticket. That'll fix me. So I put that on my phone, and there was all these birds flying. You're supposed to remember patterns, and you're supposed to remember numbers. Nah, nah. My, brain, my brain's just not repairable, I guess. <laughs> but the fact is, is that we do have a mind, and the mind, it says, has to be cleansed by the Word. Um, and I want everybody, just to help you visualize this, I want everybody to close your eyes so that you're not looking at the person next to you. And I want you, if you've ever been to a circus, and if not, we can describe it, but you go in those house where all those funny mirrors are, and some of those mirrors will make you look fat, and some of them will make you look skinny. But all of them change how you look when you stand in front of them, right? If you've ever seen that before, you know what I'm talking about. If not, you can just imagine the last time you looked in the, in the mirror. But imagine if that mirror was distorted, and, and you looked fat, or you looked skinny, or the opposite of what you were in reality. And I, I think that's an analogy of us in this world. If, everybody, if you guys got that picture, you can open your eyes, um, unless you're praying, just keep going, but, uh, <laughs> but I, 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 I got this picture years ago when I first, I grew up in church, so I understand all the church talk, I grew up with a dad who was a preacher who traveled around and preached, I understand how the church talk works, I could quote scriptures to pastors, I could, I could say where all the books of the Bibles were, I could even tell you about Paul's travels, I could do all of that, but it didn't change me so the fact was is I was changed. It's just we, have, we were all blinded. And so I want you guys to come before the Word this morning. Three times in the New Testament, it calls the Word a glass, a mirror, something we stand before and look at. How can you fix what's wrong with you if you don't even see it? Because that's the devil's game, is to hold up the mirror of the world before you, and you compare yourselves by yourselves, and by that you think you're okay. You compare yourself by those around you, your reality becomes shaped by the funny mirror, and so when somebody holds up the mirror of God's word and says, this is you, we refuse it, because it's not what we've been trained to understand, imagine, if you could, imagine a kid that was born in a fun house, um, imagine how messed up he would be, right, <laughs> he wouldn't know what he looked like, and if somebody ever showed him a real mirror, and he'd never seen himself in a real mirror, he would not understand what he was looking at, would he, because that's not him, and we have to understand, guys, when we come before God, we don't come with a clean slate. He wiped away all of our sins. He gives us a new nature and a new spirit, but we still have to be restored in our mind. And so this morning, I want to challenge you guys, and every morning when you guys open the Word, that we do not come to this Word with a filter to say, I would do that but. Or that makes sense if it wasn't in my situation. Because that's, the, that's going back to the funhouse mirrors. Can you imagine trying to apply makeup if, if your mirror was all squiggly in your face, where would you put it? What would you fix? How would you know where, how your shirt was buttoned if you couldn't make it out in the mirror? And that's what the devil does, guys. Everything in this world is programmed to make you think that normalcy is what you see all around you. That reality is this right here in the ever-present now. This is all that matters. So get what you can. Get as much as you can. Enjoy it to the fullest. And that's it. That's it. That's all there is. That is the philosophy of the world. You can apply to a hundred different religions and all the philosophy is about making yourself better. Just enjoying it as best you can. Hang on for the ride. Just stick it out, whatever it is. Just being as nice to people as possible because it will make your life smoother. It's all about how the world wants you to perceive it. And one of, the, one of the biggest lessons I've learned over the last year is that we look at poverty and we look at drug addiction and we look at people stuck in bad life cycles and we pity them. And we imagine that's what sin is. But you guys, the devil doesn't care if you waste your life by drug addiction or by internet addiction. He doesn't care if you waste your life as a homeless man or in religion. All the devil cares about is that you waste your life. Because that's what we've heard this morning is that the, God himself stepped into man to give you actual life. To give you actual meaning and purpose. And so the devil's whole purpose is to distort that and say that's not reality. It's not worth the price. And so I want to encourage you guys to believe with me. Just by faith, appropriate. Just believe that this is true and let every man be a liar. That everything I've believed up till now that I can't do or I won't do or is not possible in my situation is a lie because this is true. If we don't start there, guys, we've got absolutely nothing. You take one verse out of the Bible, and I believe that all Christianity falls down around you. There's liberal theologians that, don't, don't, that think they're doing something good by taking out one verse and saying, well, that doesn't apply here. This doesn't." Once you take out one, where do you stop? Either all of this is true, and there's something we can hope for, all of it's false, and the best we can do is just live our best life now and just make it as best we can. So this morning, I believe we've assembled here because we believe that this word is true, and I want to challenge you, if there anything comes up, that you think, well, that can't apply to me in my situation. To, to go back to the drawing board and say, well, I believe that this mirror is right. So I'm going to fix that blemish. I'm going to take care of that problem because this mirror is what is the mirror that I'm going to stand before on judgment day. Because John says that we don't know what he looks like, but we know that when he appears, we will look like him. So everyone that has this hope does what? Purifies himself so that we can look like he looks. And that's what we do when we come together. That is the point of this. It's a constant adjustment to grow into a full stature of man. That's what Ephesians 4 talks about. He places the gifts in the church so that we can all grow up and look like Jesus does. And if we're not doing that, then we're not living Christianity. And that's, that is the parable of the sower. Um, if we had more time, we could go into Matthew 12. Because if you read 13 verse 1, it says the same day. So when you read the same day, you realize it's at the end of the long day. And if you read chapter 12, it's been a busy day. <laughs> Jesus uh, was having a good time with the Pharisees, um, but but His day started with His disciples picking grain on the way to the synagogue. And so the the religious elite call Him out and say, Well, how, how are your disciples doing this? And all through this chapter, it's just one after another that no matter what Jesus says or no matter what He does, the Pharisees just need to find fault. They just need to find something wrong with what He says. So it doesn't really matter His response. But Jesus responds... And they can't answer back. He says, well, David did this. What about David? And they can't answer back, so they move on. And then if you remember the story about the man with the withered hand, I always had it in my mind that Jesus went and saw the man with the withered hand. I was reading this this week. And it says that the Pharisees saw the man with the withered hand, and they wanted to test Jesus. The heartlessness that the devil will bring us to in the sake of our own pride is incredible. Picture that. They didn't care anything about the man who stood there with the withered hand. In front of all the people, they were willing to call that man out. For what? So that they could try to prove a point. Jesus will break the Sabbath to heal a man. In Mark, it says Jesus looked at them with anger. That's the sinfulness of our hearts, guys. At some point, we become more important than everything else around us. And so so we're okay with that. We're okay with destroying a man's life, embarrassing him, pulling him up on stage if it will prove our point. But Jesus isn't like that. So Jesus said, which one of you with a donkey in a ditch isn't going to go help him? Is it worse for me to help this guy? Be healed. And the man was healed. What is the Pharisees' response? It says they immediately went and gathered together to figure out with the Herodians. So they went, with, they went to the Roman government, essentially, to try to find some help. How are we going to kill this guy? In response to a man being healed, in response to a man's life being made better, all they could do was look for a way to kill him. Because it, didn't, it wasn't the mirror they wanted to see. Because when Jesus held up that mirror, they stood before it and they looked awful. What do you call them? You whitewashed tombs. You sepulchers. That's the mirror that he held up. And that's what they saw when they looked into it. And it says, Jesus knew that they were seeking to kill him. So he withdrew himself to fulfill a prophecy that he would not cry out in the streets. He would not create a disturbance. He wasn't about justifying himself or defending himself. And yet even as he retreated, people followed him. It said, the multitudes followed him. And he healed them all. Because... By no means will he turn any man away. A bruised reed, he will not crush. A smoking flax, he will not quench. He fulfilled that prophecy too. So here's Jesus fulfilling the word of God. Like we heard Wednesday night, it's about the word of God. Jesus is walking his life. He's fulfilling every step of the way. It says the blind and the mute were healed. And the people recognized this as a fulfillment. I believe it's Isaiah 35, where it said this would happen when the Messiah came. And the people recognized this. They said, this must be the prophet. This must be the Messiah. The Pharisees got back in the crowd and said, No, it's Beelzebub. And he does it by the prince of demons. See, they were so bent that it had to be their way, they were so sure that it had to go their way. So here's the light of the world that comes into the world for no benefit of his own, but only for our benefit. And those that he came to, the religious release were the one he came to. That was his people. That was the people who had the word of God. It said that the Jews were more favored than all the people on the earth. Why? Because they had the law. They had the testimony. They had instructions about who God was. They had the great grace of the Old Testament. And yet those were the very ones that no matter what Jesus did, no matter what sermon he taught, no matter what analogy he used, no matter how many people he healed, he could not prove himself. Why? Because they didn't have ears to hear the people followed him, and they said, well, this must be the Son of God. This must be the prophet. And they say, well, so the Pharisees, they have to break this up. They see the, it's like a political thing, you know. Well, if, if everybody thinks he's the Son of God, they're not going to listen to us. We don't think he is. We've gotta, how are we going to do this? So we're going to call him Beelzebub. And Jesus responds and saying, you know a tree by its fruit. I don't need to justify myself. You know a tree by its fruit. You are the sum of the choices you make. You know a tree by its fruit. And what do they say? They turn around and they say, Well, then prove to me that you're the Son of God. After all he'd done. See, it didn't matter to them. It really didn't matter. He could have at that moment called down a hundred angels and had them sing Christmas carols. It wouldn't have made a difference. It wouldn't have mattered. And that was what John was saying on Wednesday night. What did the, what did the rich man say? Send them, a, send them a prophet from the dead and then they'll hear. And what did Abraham say? He said, No. If they don't believe the law and the prophets, they will by no means believe, though someone would rise from the dead and go preach the gospel to them. So then they say, prove to us that you're Jesus. Prove to us that you are who you say you are. And Jesus told them, you know what? On your day of judgment, Nineveh, the wicked city of Nineveh will rise up in judgment against you. Can you imagine that? You stand before God someday and and he calls up a wicked Evil city, if you know anything about Nineveh. But what did, they ha- what did they do when they heard the word? They repented. They changed everything about who they were because they believed, because they had ears to hear. And they were willing to, to drop everything, to walk away from everything. They made their animals fast with them. And Jesus said, that The people of Nineveh will rise up in judgment against you because greater, one greater than Jonah stands here now and you're, you don't believe. The Queen of Sheba will rise up in judgment because somebody greater than Solomon is here now. And he's still here right now. So Jesus leaves there and it says the multitudes followed him. You kind of have to piece together from Mark, Luke, and John to get like the full picture. But So he's preaching and his family shows up. Towards the end of chapter 12, it says, While he yet talked, his mother and his brothers stood outside. And if you go to the other verses, one of the, I believe it's in Mark, they said they called out to him. And, uh, and it's in John as well. Um, you don't really get it from this verse, but if you read, I believe it's in Mark, it says that they believed that he had lost his mind. And then in John, it said they, they were encouraging him to essentially go turn himself into the Pharisees. They said, if, you, if you're so great, why are you hiding? Go back to the synagogue. So after this long day, his family shows up and it says in John that they did not believe in him. They believed they had lost his mind. Their brother had this multitude. He was stirring up trouble. He was going against what they had been taught, what they had been raised to believe was true. It could, simply couldn't be. The Pharisee, all the Pharisees couldn't be wrong. And what, what was the deal with all these people following him? Who do you think he was? So they go call out to him and say, Come out, Jesus. And he says, Who's my mother? Who's my brother? Those that it, do the will of my father that sent me. And then we come to chapter 13. It says the same day. So this has been Jesus' day. Long day. <laughs> it says he came out of the house and he sat by the sea and there were so many people for fear of being run over, he put himself in a ship so that he could be heard and that he could speak. So he gets in the ship and he tells him this parable about the sower and the seed. Now I want you guys to think about this if you can. There's the multitudes there. And you have the speaker, God himself, and the flesh of man. And he has come to seek and save that which was lost. He come to shine light. In the darkness, One of my favorite pictures of Jesus is John 1. in verse, John 1, verse 4 and 5, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own received him not. So there's Jesus. He's in this boat. And he's the light of the world. And he's come that men might have life. But men preferred death rather than life. They preferred darkness rather than light. And yet he still loves, yet he still serves. And then in this crowd, there was always the Pharisees, because as soon as Jesus did something, there was always a rebuttal. They were standing right there to say, nope, it's the the devil. Nope, that can't be true. So they were always there. So there's Jesus preaching, and there's the Pharisees with their religious elitism, and their preconceived notions and their complete concrete picture of how the world had to look and operate. And it's funny, when we get a picture like that, it's always us at the top of the food chain. <laughs> when we decide on a mental picture of what the world looks like, it's always about us. And that's how the Pharisees had become. Their religion was no good for them. It served them no purpose. Yet there they were. Why were they trekking around the desert, following the crowds? Why were they so bent on destroying Jesus? Because Jesus was a threat to everything they'd worked so hard to create. Everything that they, they built their hopes on, everything that their best life now, everything was going their way, everything was working out for them. Who was this guy? They were willing to, to trek around. It says the multitudes followed Jesus from the synagogue to the Sea of Galilee. They followed him around the desert. The Pharisees were willing to trek too, as long as they could make sure that they kept their converts in line. As long as they could keep their world around them. And then there's the multitudes. They're listening to Jesus. And these multitudes, they're intense, man. If you read the, you read the Gospels, they're, I mean, they'll do anything. I mean, it says they, they would go out into the middle of the desert. Jesus would withdraw to the wilderness to pray, and they would hear about it, and they would follow him. I mean, it, back then, you lived, to, you lived to work so you could have food. It wasn't like here where you just take a week off and everything's okay. I mean, it was, it was an agricultural economy. I mean, it was, you had to, but they were willing to walk away from that. They were willing to follow Jesus. They were willing to, to hear what he had to say. No matter where he went, said they would discover that he was there. Uh, later on, he's preaching on this side of Galilee at the end of this day, I believe. Or somewhere nearby, he's preaching. And he tells the disciples, get in the boat. They're going to try to make me king. You guys go to the other side. I'm going to go pray. It says the people woke up and were like, whoa, where'd Jesus go? And then word came back. He's on the other side. So what they do? They all chucked out, went across, across the sea. I mean, these, these people were, were devout in their pursuit of the man Jesus. But you get to John 6... And Jesus says, You follow me because you received food that filled your bellies. He said, You follow me for the signs and for the wonders. He starts off in the beginning of John 6 with people ready to crown him king. And by the end of John 6, it says, He turned to his 12. So apparently the multitudes fell down to 12. And he said, Are you offended too? And Peter says, where would we go, Lord? You have the words of life. So we have the multitudes that were willing to do so much, but there was, there was always a threshold. There was always a, there was always a line in the sand that we will do all these things, Jesus, but not, don't ask us to do that. Don't ask us to take that one last step. And what would that step have been? It would have been surrender. Because what, what was his confrontation with him? He said, How, why are you so worried about bread that perishes? Have the bread of life. And they said, well, okay, give us that bread then. This is right after he turned the loaves. And fishes and fed 5,000. They said, okay, we'll, we'll eat that bread too. And he said, it's my, it's my body, it's my flesh. You have to take part in my life. Take my yoke upon you. You have to lay down your life and pick my life up. Now was too much. So they left in their healed bodies. They left with their full bellies. But they left. And then you have his disciples. They're following Jesus this whole time. And they have left everything. There's no going back for them. They are are following where Jesus goes. They go. What he has is what they have. They exist on what he says. Peter tells them, where will we go? You're all we have. Picture them as they're listening to Jesus on this boat. They've just seen throughout the day, they've seen Jesus winning, right? He confronts religion and he wins. He confronts the devil. It says demons came out and he wins. And he, and he feeds 5,000 people. And what, what are they thinking? They're thinking, this is the Messiah. This is the king that has come. So, they, so they've got to be thinking, well, all we need is a plan, Jesus. All you've got to do is tell us. Just tell, me, just tell me a city. I'll get you a house. We'll call it home base. We'll set up, and we'll go do something, Jesus. Just tell us anything. We'll go do it for you. And what does Jesus do? He gets in a boat, and he starts telling stories about seeds and farmers and maybe that, maybe that makes the question, why are you speaking in parables, more make more sense. Because it doesn't make any sense for a king to speak in parables. How are they going to get behind your political campaign when you speak in parables? <laughs> if it's always about suggestions and conclusions and mysteries, how, how, can, how can you become king? And so they come to Jesus and they say, why do you speak in parables? Why are you doing this? You have all power, you have all authority, you've quieted the sea, you've silenced religion, you've cast out demons, you've shown that you have authority over all creation. Why are you speaking in parables? Why don't you just say, I'm the king, I'm going to create an army and we're going to win. That makes a lot more sense. Isn't that more attractive? So why do you speak in parables? So now we're back to Matthew 13. In verse 11... Jesus answers them and He says, Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him it shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him it shall be taken away, even that which he has. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing you shall hear and not understand, and by seeing you shall see and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, that at any time they should see with their eyes, and they should hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. He's quoting from Isaiah there, and in Isaiah 6, you remember, it's when he says, in the year of Uzziah, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he talks about this incredible vision that he saw. But later on in the chapter, it says that God said, who will go for me? Who will go and tell these people that judgment's on the way? So Isaiah said, well, I'll go. And he said, yeah, you'll go. But nobody's going to listen to you. And that's the verse here. Because their ears have waxed gross. The Old Testament is history. is a history of man that refuses to listen to God. But think about the grace of our God and that He still sent Isaiah. Judgment was already on the way. Like John talked about, the first part of the book of Isaiah is all about judgment, and the second half is all about restoration of the coming kingdom. So, judgment's already on the way. Israel is judged. They've been weighed in the balances, they've been found wanting. They're getting judged. And what's God do? He sends them a prophet. And that's what this parable is all about. God is always speaking. Inviting us into his kingdom. God, the seed is always going out. God never stops calling out. Towards the end of Jesus' ministry in Luke 13, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times would I have gathered you in? I sent you prophets. I sent you righteous men and you killed them all. How many times would I have wanted to bring you in like a mother hen does her chicks, but you would not? And here we see Jesus laying down the primary law of the kingdom, of his kingdom, of the kingdom that knows no end, that is from this side of eternity to the other side of the eternity, and that is that it is all of grace. Because hearing is the thing, and hearing is outside of us. You see, there's hearing, like what you guys are doing in my words right now, But then there's hearing that makes a man sell everything that he has. Then there's hearing that makes missionaries. And there's hearing that makes people trust God regardless of the circumstances. There's obviously two kinds of hearing. And obviously all the multitudes heard, but only some of them really heard. And, you know, what did Elijah say when he said, there's nobody left? And God said, who do you think you are? I've I've got my remnant. There's always people that hear Everybody hears because God's a gracious God and because God goes to all the earth. His voice covers the whole earth and God's gracious, but only some people hear. And So the, the primary law of the kingdom is that entrance to the kingdom comes by hearing. And this dovetails so much with what John was saying on Wednesday night. We want to make it about so much. If only God would do, if only this would happen, if only this could change, if only I could have... Then I. And yet, that verse still stands in a warning to us that if we had not believed the law and the prophets, we would not believe though the dead were to rise. If his word is not enough to give us all that we need, then there's an issue. And that's what the parable, this parable is all about. Because as we'll see in this parable, it's never about the seed. The seed has the same potential for all soil types. The power is latent and the seed the the seed is not the issue the seed is good the invitation is open to all the problem is in the soil and so we have Jesus in his boat and he's speaking to the multitudes and he's saying you that have an ear, you that hear what I'm saying, hear, listen this is your life this is your only hope like Peter said where else do we go What's your backup plan? If this is false, guys, then we're not only wasting a lot of time, we're wasting our life. Paul said, if the resurrection's not true, then I, above all men, am to be pitied. His life, he was saying, if, the re- if Jesus isn't real, if the resurrection didn't happen, I've wasted my life. Let me tell you, if the resurrection did happen, and Jesus Christ did come, anything you else you do is a waste of your life because at some point we stand before God and then, that, then there will be the true mirror of his word the standard that we'll stand before and God will say why didn't you measure up and we'll have a lot of reasons but he'll say I sent my son to conform you into my image so you could stand before me and look like me as you could be changed into my image why didn't you hear why didn't you see and, and to reinforce it In verse 17, he says to them, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you have heard and not heard them. Hear, therefore, the parable of the sower. I can't think of any way to punch it home more and say, you guys are privileged. You guys get to hear how man can commune with God. This is a privilege. So here, guys, listen to the... Parable of the Sower. Apply yourself to say, "How can I bear fruit?" Then we come to verse 19. It says, "When anyone hears the word of the kingdom," and I think this is this is the focal point of the whole parable of everything that's gone on. This is what it's all about. Jesus has just had a long day, and what did everybody miss? The kingdom. Because they weren't hearing. The multitudes, they wanted bread. They wanted a sideshow. The Pharisees, they wanted Him gone so they could get back to their lifestyle. The disciples wanted something they could understand. Jesus was here to establish a kingdom. And so He says, hear therefore the word of the kingdom. So what is the word of the kingdom? Because that's what, that's what He's saying. Everybody gets this seed. The seed is thrown out doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been. The seed is thrown out. What is the seed? The seed is the gospel. The seed is the gospel. It's more, I think I've grown up in church. So I've always thought that the seed was just like the message you were listening to or a tract you read. That was the seed. And I think that's true. That's representation of the seed. But it's bigger picture than that. We're talking about the whole gospel. The gospel is the seed. The gospel is the good news that Jesus was, was broadcasting, saying, here hear the gospel of the kingdom. So the, and I think that's why Matthew uses the phrase, the word of the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. So when he says the word of the kingdom, I believe he's talking about the gospel. So what do, what do we say in this context? What do, we, what do we mean when we say gospel? The gospel, I believe, is primarily the good news that God has made a way for man to commune with God. God has opened a path whereby man can be made right and have a relationship With everything that is good and right and kind and loving, that's the kingdom of light. But it's more than that because the gospel doesn't stop there. Because we have all the Old Testament to teach us that no matter how kind the invitation, no matter how attractive the kingdom, we can't do it. The, the right amount of words. What did he tell his people? I'll make you the head, not the tail. I'll put you above, not beneath. I'll give you everything you could ever need. I'll, I'll make all the nations of the world subject to you. You guys, like, mind-blowing. Like this little tribe of slaves. And God tells them, all you got to do is be my people, and I'll be your God. And nothing, nothing can prevail against you. You can conquer the world. And it, it didn't work, did it? That communion with God was there. He set up the temple. His great grace to the people of Israel. That God could come down and commune with man. And what did they do? It took them no time to neglect that. To walk away from that. So the gospel takes it a step farther. And we get to the indwelling Christ. Because not only does the gospel... Invite us into communion with everything that is good and right. I hope when you guys hear the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness, you realize that all poverty, all sickness, all death, all destruction, all anger, bitterness, malice, gossip, envy, jealousy, all those things are the kingdom of darkness. That's why Paul says don't take part in those things. So everything that is good and right and righteous and peace and love and joy and the Holy Ghost, that's the kingdom of light. So when Jesus comes down and says, I offer you the kingdom of life, he's not just saying, I offer you a church to go to on Sunday. He is talking about intimate communion with the creator of the universe, the creator in whom there is no shadow of change and who there is no there's no variance and who and from who every perfect gift comes Everything that we want, everything that our soul desires, he is. The devil comes in and perverts those things. Takes natural passions and makes them perverse. Takes natural wants and makes them self-centered. That's the devil's job. God comes and says, I offer you perfect happiness. Perfect, at his right hands are pleasures forevermore. Perfect life. I didn't say tribulation-free life, I said perfect life. Because it's his life. We're taking his life on us. Was Jesus' life trouble-free? No. Was it perfect? Yes. Did he have everything he wants? He said, I came to do the will of my Father, him who sent me. And this, my joy is complete. He, He was happy. And so Jesus comes down and the word of the kingdom is this. I'm the king. I'm inviting you to come into the kingdom. So that you can commune with God. But even more than that, that God can come in your heart and change you. That God can make you like he is. You see, the the principal focus of the devil is just this. Just make you believe a lie. Just make you believe that you aren't in chains when you are in chains. Just make you believe that you are well when you are sick. Because what person in their right mind would let a doctor stick a knife in them and open them up if they didn't believe they were sick? Nobody. Nobody. And if the devil can make you believe a lie, make you believe that everything is well, everything's going out alright, nothing's happened. How many times in the Bible it says you thought I was like you? You thought because I didn't immediately judge that sin, that I didn't know about the sin. He said, No, it's because I'm gracious and I'm kind and I'm loving and I want you. I desire that no man perishes. That's the invitation. That's the word of the kingdom is come unto me and have life. Come. That's the invitation. So who would turn that down? The people that love darkness more than light. And, and who would do that? Only people that were convinced that the darkness was the truth and the light was a lie, right? And that's why hearing is the primary thing. Because hearing is the first step. You, can, you can't enter the kingdom if you can't hear the kingdom. If you can't hear that we're all lost and dead in our sins, and you can't know why the Redeemer came. The fact that there was a Redeemer who came should prove to you that your sinful nature needs redeeming. I mean, if you were really okay, if it was really just about making a few right decisions and cleaning up your life around the edges, do you really think that God had to take on human flesh to make you a little bit more moral? Or to make you a little bit more kind to people? That's ridiculous. Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died because you stored up for yourself wrath. Because every participation in the works of darkness that you've done was an act against the Almighty God. And in the same way that you would hate a person who gave AIDS to your mother, God hates sin. Do you see that? Sin is the great cancer that's eating the world that he made. Participation with it isn't a light thing to him. He created the world. Instead, he beheld everything that he made, and behold, it was good. That's When God gets done with a thing, it's good. You know, you talk to sinners, and they say, well, why is it all so messed up? You have no idea. Why did you mess it up? I mean, that's the fact of it, guys. And the fact is, if you don't have Jesus Christ in your heart, you already know it's true. Because you've come here and you've heard these messages and you've thought to yourself, Yeah, that's probably right. I probably shouldn't look at that. I probably shouldn't talk mean about people. And yet you went out the next morning and you didn't have anything inside of you that would fight back against your desire to be evil. And it doesn't matter how evil people try and tell you that the kingdom of darkness is, you still participate in it. Because that's our nature. We're bent that way. Until Jesus Christ comes and gives us a new nature. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel is that you can't do this you're on yourself. So God, because He so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son so that all those who believed on Him would not perish but have eternal life. This is a God who cannot look on sin. So we cannot believe that He just made it okay and poo-pooed sin now because He sent His Son. That's not the way that works. There was a debt. Jesus came and paid it. He offers you to appropriate that payment on your behalf so that you can look like Him. And until we get a revelation of who God really is, we will not be motivated to look like God is. And therein lies a huge problem. I think Mr. Hamilton was the one that always say, so many people are saved by a stranger. We got wooed in by this talk about somebody who wants the best for us, and we thought, well, I want the best for us, and whoever this is wants the best for us, so we must want the same thing, I'll take it. But God said that the whole point of Christianity, the whole point of his son suffering and dying on that tree was not so you could look a better version of yourself, but so that you could look like him. And the only way that makes any sense to you is if you understand that everything that's good and right is from God and everything that is evil is from the devil. And until we start living like that, until we grasp that in our mind, we'll never take authority in our life for the kingdom of darkness like we should. If everything that is evil and dark is the kingdom of darkness, then why don't we fight it like it is? Why don't we live our lives like we believe that all darkness is from the devil? And I'm preaching to myself, guys. It's so easy in this world to just live a a, a degree better than everybody else around you. A degree more moral. A degree more cautious in your language. And assume that, that somehow you're living the gospel. But that's not what Jesus died to give us. He died for communion with man. And so that the indwelling Christ could live in you and transform you to his image. That is the word of the gospel. When you talk about the gospel, guys, you cannot separate healing from the gospel. You go through and just type, if you've got a computer or something on your phone, type kingdom in your phone. It'll come up. He went preaching the kingdom and healing every time. When he sent his disciples out, he said, you go out and preach the kingdom and heal. Why was that? Because in this, the works of God are manifest. Because this is the kingdom that I came to set up. Where everything is right. Everything is like it should be. So we stand in the kingdom. We are invited into the kingdom. And our lives are about pushing out the darkness. And that's the fight. That's where we are at right now. We see the kingdom before us. We are motivated to pursue the kingdom because we see it for what it's worth. We see the son sacrifice for what it actually was. Which was him paying our debt. Not so that he could be, gain anything, but that so we could gain everything. Besides the will of the Father being accomplished, which it says was Jesus' primary motivation, then there's us. Now don't, don't mistake that to believe that God loves you any less than you think he does. He loves you way more than you think he does. Because it was the will of the Father. And the Father's will is his will. So to the same extent that the Father loves you, so did the Son. But I'm just trying to make a point. That that is what we are called into. Is that crucified life. Is that life that my will is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am now what? A slave to righteousness. Not a moderator of my own decisions. Or a slightly more moral version of the world around me. I'm talking about purpose-filled living for the kingdom. I'm talking about having all power and authority. What did Paul say? I didn't come to you in words or with fine speech. I came to you with Christ crucified. I came to you with power. That's, that's the invitation. That's the kingdom. And healing is a part of the kingdom. And I mean healing in all of its extent. I mean cancers. I mean heart conditions. I mean emotional baggage. I mean scars. I mean failures and rejections. Jesus Christ comes to make us whole. Jesus Christ comes to, because he's living in us now. Are we broken? Yeah. But Jesus isn't. Jesus isn't. He came to set us right. He came to, so, so what is holding us back? Nothing. We have all authority has been given to us. We have everything that pertains to life and godliness. In us. So there's the good news The good soil then, if we jump to the end of the parable, what is the good soil? It says, uh, if you jump down to the last verse in 23, it says, He that received the seed into good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, which also bears fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold and some sixty and some thirty. And I want to ask you guys, if the seed is the word of the kingdom, what is the fruit? Isn't the fruit the life of the kingdom? Yeah, I think... Without thinking about it much, I always just think of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians, like patience, kindness, gentleness, which I'm sure all that is included in it, but I think it's a lot bigger than that. I think that when the seed, the word of the kingdom, gets sown into a heart, I believe it's Luke that says, an honest and good heart, who keeps it with patience, then the seed cannot but bring forth fruit. And what does the seed always do? It always reproduces what it is, right? An apple tree... Seed can't give you oranges. So the seed of the kingdom is that indwelling Christ in us. The fruit is Christ manifested in us. It says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So us who, it says, blessed are you for you see and you hear. So that's us. We have saw and we've heard. The good soil is the word. Whose job is it to make sure the word bears fruit? It's not ours. The seed was thrown into the good soil. And the seed sprouted because there was good soil. The seed was the word, was the kingdom. Our only responsibility is that heart, that condition. Do we hear, to receive? It says with a good heart, and we receive it and keep it with patience? Or are we not? And if we look around, we have to realize that the majority of the world, the majority of everyone that we know, unless, I mean, depending on how big your circle is, maybe not, but there's, the, the fruit isn't coming out. And maybe in my own life, Maybe in our lives, the fruit's not coming out like it should. But Jesus wants to fix that. See, because Jesus isn't just out there throwing seed to throw seed. He's out there because he's building a kingdom. Because he's inviting you into a kingdom. Because everything that's right and good in the world, he, he, he wants you to have that. It says it's the Father's heart to give you your desires, with the desires of your heart. He wants to give you a new heart, a new mind, a new soul, a new direction, a new purpose, a new nature. And Then, like an apple tree, we won't bear apples because we set our mind to bearing apples. Or we won't bear apples because we propose that we should probably give apples. We'll do it because it's our nature. You see the difference in that. An apple tree can't deny its nature. And that's the truth of conversion, guys. If you've been converted, you have a new nature. If you have no new nature, you're not converted. That's it. It's that simple. It says, can a lion change its spots? Only God can change a lion's spots. So either you're converted or you're not converted. If you're, if you're unconverted, God invites you into his kingdom. So badly does he want you in his kingdom that he sent his son. Not just sent his son, but made it so that his son would dwell in your heart. Not just made it so that his son would dwell in your heart, but he gave you his word so that you would know His will. And you'll be able to hear His voice. And you'll be able to change by it. And you'll be able to look like it. And you'll be able to make a difference for His kingdom. And see, that's where our motivation for evangelism comes from, guys. Is not in the attempt to make other people's lives a little better. Not to bring the homeless off the street. Not to, not to give somebody an addiction to religion or internet instead of an addiction to drugs. We come to propagate the kingdom of light. We come to spread light. We are the light of the world. He dwells in us. We dwell in Him. That is evangelism, guys. Is pushing back the kingdom of darkness. At every step, one step at a time, we fight for the kingdom of light. There is a war going on. You are participants, whether or not you want to be. You are helping one side or the other with every moment of your life. Evangelism is helping the right side. It's pushing back against the kingdom of darkness. And we've got to start in our own lives first. If we're going to... If we're gonna go out and push out darkness, we've got to push the darkness out of our own lives first. But don't wait until all the darkness is gone from your life to go out and be a light. He said, How can a light be put underneath a candle or a candle be put underneath a bushel? What good is it? It's not fulfilling its main purpose, which is what? To be a light. We huddle down and wait till we're perfect, and we are not fulfilling our main purpose, which is to be a light. We are here on this world because God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. His only Son now lives in you. You are the hope of the world. You are the light of the world. So let your light so shine that when people see you, they glorify the Father who is in heaven. That's it. When that's done, we go to heaven. And we get to enjoy all eternity with glory. Everything else, I'm telling you, is a waste of your life. Store it up. Build it up. You're going to die. You can have the biggest company. You can have the, the strongest portfolio. You can have it all. Jesus said, if salt loses its flavor, what good is it? You are a city set on a hill. So our motivation for evangelism is not humanitarian and its main thrust. That Jesus feed the poor all the time. That He loved people irregardless of their response to Him. He healed multitudes of people that I don't see any evidence in Scripture actually came to Him and turned their lives over to Him. God loves like we don't understand. But we are the light of the world. So let your light so shine. That is the fruit that comes out. So then we come to the first type of soil. And in this we see something that I, th- I think we lose sight of a lot. And verse 19 says, Anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then comes the wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he that's received the seed by the wayside. And really, I, I believe that all of these applications are twofold. I believe that they are a warning to the unconverted, and they are a warning to the converted. I believe that they are a warning to the unconverted, because, like I said, you cannot not know that your nature's changed. You cannot know, not know that evil has been removed from you and, and light's been stuck in. There's no way that you can live your life and not know if that's happened. We are converted or we are not converted. Conversion is the taking out of the old man and putting in the new. We have changed or we haven't changed. And so if you are here and you are unchanged, then let me tell you what you hear every week is words upon words upon words upon words. And you get older and you don't understand a word of it. It doesn't make a lick of sense to you and you can't remember anything of it. I grew up in church, so I know what it's like to sit in church and not understand a word of it. You don't even understand the grace that's passing right by you constantly. And why is it going right by you? Why don't you understand it? Or why doesn't it make sense to you? Is it because they don't have enough kids programs? Or is it because the pastor hasn't taken time to dumb it down or to smarten it up or whatever it is so that you can receive it? Absolutely not. Balaam hurt his donkey pretty well. It's because the devil comes and steals it. Because we have no more concern about that word, the seed of the kingdom, than than we do anything. We're much more intensely focused on where our life is going, what our life is about. So we sit in a building like this, unconverted, unchanged. We hear the glorious realities of the gospel. Just like everybody that ever stood before Jesus stood in front of the incarnation of God himself and they spit on him. You can justify yourself by thinking if the church was different or the people were different, then I would worship, then I would do. But God's word is not a liar. And he says that we don't understand because we remain unconverted. Because we desire what we have more than what he offers. And that is the great sickness. That is what we need to cure more than anything else. And so if you are here unconverted and you've been here all this time and you've heard words and words and words and more words and right now you're listening and it's just more words, I want to tell you that Jesus wants to save you. Jesus wants to convert you, to take out that evil that you know is in your heart. When you are by yourself and you know what the pastor said and you know what the Bible said you should do and you've been raised to know what is right, but there's no desire in your heart to do it. And you go against that little weak voice in your mind, and you just can't do it. I just can't do it. I want to tell you that Jesus wants to save you. He says, "Repent and be converted. Become as a child. Receive the news of the kingdom with all joy, and I will put my nature in you. I will take out that old man of, I will take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh." So, first the unconverted, I believe, he says, "Come, come." And then there's a, a warning, I think, to us because I think all of these all these soil types. I think even with a converted nature, I think we can, we can let things build up in our heart. I think the disciples evidenced all these things even though they were converted. And I want to just reinforce basically John's message on Wednesday night is that are we hearing? Like are we really hearing God at any point in our life? Because let me tell you something. I've got five bucks that says if you aren't hearing in this room, you aren't hearing when you go home. That's how the truth of the kingdom works is that the hearts that hear, we hear. So we can't fool ourselves and think, well, well I would hear if, if God would just change the style or the speed or, or something, then I would hear. No, when we hear the voice of the kingdom, we hear the voice of the kingdom. I think as Christians, we've got to get past this, I'm better than them. Is Jesus Christ in them? Then I can learn from them. If they're six years old and Jesus Christ is in them, then they might have something to teach me. Who are we, guys? We are only what we are in Christ. Our only hope is that Christ is in us. Our only hope is not that we have achieved some level of discernment, some level of understanding. Our only hope, our only achievement is that we've laid down our lives and that God's great grace found us. And raised us up and put himself in there so that we can look like him. So I want to tell you, if the seed goes out, there's an active participant in trying to ensure that you don't hear a word of it. This is the devil. Think about that. You're sitting there, minding your own business, texting, zoned out, half asleep. The devil, you think he knows the power latent in the seed? (laughs) You think he would halt his schedule to come and bother himself to steal the seed if it wasn't important? If it wouldn't make a difference in your life? If it couldn't change you? If it couldn't break the chains? If it couldn't heal? Do you think he would make the, the trouble to steal it? I don't think so. He steals the word because he knows the power that's in the word. So he who has an ear, let him hear. We come to the second soil type. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that hears the word, and with, immediately with joy receives it. Yet he hath not rooted in himself, so he just endures for a little while. But when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. Every one of these soil types could really, you could just take a message and really just take your time. But this is a lot in a, in a verse. See, I mean, the the stony heart and the word comes and he hears it and he's, yes, that's it. I'm going to do it. What do the multitudes do? That's the guy. He's the prophet. What did Jesus say? Pick up your cross and follow me. And then never mind. (laughs) And how many times in a hundred ways have we done that with Christ? How many people have we seen do that with Christ? And we always have a reason for it, don't we? It says, when persecution or tribulation arises... Because of the word, by and by, he is offended. That word offended means to fall away, to stumble, to trip, to fall, um, to entice to sin, to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. Jesus, that's a line too far. No way God's sovereign that this happened. No way that God's in control and this would happen. And see, we look at the circumstances and we say that I would be a true follower of Christ were it not for this circumstance, were the enemies not surrounding me. Was the pain not real? Then I would follow Jesus. What does the parable say? Was it the tribulation or the persecution? That word tribulation just means pressing. It's like a Roman wine press, just squeezing. I know I've been there. I know I've felt like this can't be God. This can't be right. It's too uncomfortable. I feel like my job's messed up. My living situation's messed up. My prayers aren't getting answers. Everything is against me. And what does the parable say? Was it the fault of the persecution that he was offended? It was not. Was it the pressing that caused him to be offended? It was not. Why was he offended? Because he had a stony heart. And I think for the unconverted, you have to realize this. If you sit here this morning, and you mentally assent like I did growing up. I never had any arguments against my parents' faith. I mentally assented with everything that was said across the pulpit. It had to make sense. It was the only thing I was hearing. Surely it was probably true, I guess. But it wasn't really what I was into. But how many attempts have we made at Christianity? How many times have you thought to yourself, you know what, that's right, I've got to quit looking at that. I can't be like that. I can't treat people like that. And yet we just go out and we just keep right on doing it. Barely a hesitation. This is a warning. This is God's grace coming to you and saying, you heard my word. You knew it was right. You knew it was the truth. You knew it would fix what was wrong with you. But as soon as it was inconvenient, you walked away from it. As soon as it started to hurt a little bit, you walked away from it. Why were they offended? It says, because of the word. Think about that, guys. Where has God called you to walk that hurts? It says, those that are offended because of the word in times of trouble. In the initial telling of the parable, he said, when the sun comes up. Does the sun come up on everyone? Will Will the righteous man suffer persecution? Do we know that everybody will suffer? Everybody will have trials. Everybody will experience loss. It's just a fact. But it's really, if you look at this verse, it's a grace. Why is it a grace? Did the stony heart know that his heart was stony? He had no idea, did he? It popped up. It said, he immediately received it with joy. Everything is right in my life. I received it with joy. It's working. Look, the fruit. And then it got hard. And what happened? Nothing. Everything he thought he had was gone, wasn't it? What was the problem? Was it the persecution? Was it the tribulation? Was it the hard times? No, it wasn't. It was that he never had it. What does it say in verse 21? He hath not root in himself. That ought to make all of us tremble. It makes me tremble because I've been right here at the stony ground. I've been at the I will trust you God for the finances and nothing comes in. I've been at the I'll trust you God for the healing and nothing seems to be happening. And I, my faith withers. And what does the Word of God come to us? He comes and says, Because you have not root in yourself. Guys, all of Christianity hinges on us having Christ in us. If we come to a point in our life that there is no root in ourself, it means that the great vine is not there. It means that, if not in all sections of our life, in that section of our life, our life supply, our source, you you say, I'm the vine, you are the branches. What happens if you cut the root off of the branches? It dies, right? Why? Because there's no root. So when you come to a place in your life and you realize that I have no root in my life, it means that Jesus Christ hasn't been your life source. And that's our only hope. If Jesus isn't our life source, we will stand before Him dead. Because we said the kingdom of darkness is everything outside of Christ. Everything in Christ is life. It is God's great grace that He would let trials come into our life so that He could expose those areas that we are not even aware, we are not reliant on Him. Because the reality of it, what God sees, is that when we hew for ourselves cisterns, when we get it good enough, when our success is enough, that it will fail us in the day of trouble. Because everything outside of Christ is not life at all. Every source of amusement, of entertainment, of joy outside of Christ is a fleeting pleasure and, prob- and, and deceitful. And it will make you think that you have something you don't, that you are someplace you aren't. And Jesus Christ comes and lets the sun come up on your life. And you get pressed and you get persecuted and harassed and things don't go your way. And that is our, that is our moment. To say with David, search me and try me, O God. See if there is any wicked way in me. And let me tell you guys, I speak into myself. I'm speaking to myself, guys. The discouragement is real. The frustration. The why doesn't God? I don't see how. I've done this. Where is it at? What's going to happen? I am right there with you guys. But I choose to believe that my only life source is Jesus Christ. And if I come to somewhere, if my faith fizzles at the finish, it had a flaw in it at the first. So rather than blame the one whose grace bought me that faith, I will choose to look and ask him, Search me and try me, O God. Let me see if there's any wicked way. Because I want my life source to come from you. I don't want to be offended when things get hard. That one definition where it says, To cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. That's Thayer's lexicon on the word offended. That's what the devil gets us to do. We distrust the one that we should trust above all other things. We choose the voice of our friends. We choose the voice of our discouragement. We choose the voice of our own lust and our own passions and our own desires. over the voice of the one who offers us life and everything that pertains to life and godliness. We choose something other than God. And that's what Jesus dealt with every day of his life that he walked on. He came, I come to get you might have life and life more abundantly. What did they do? We don't want it. You just keep doing cool stuff and we'll hang around as long as it's cool and then at any point when you ask anything from us we're gone. Like the stony ground here. How many people that walked with Jesus do you think all their family thought man they've bought into this Jesus guy 100%. I don't know what they're into but they're after that guy. But then how many of them trudged back home? And why was it? Was it because Jesus was offensive? Or was it because their hearts were stony? If you do a biblical word search on the word stony, it pretty much always means pride or unbelief. You can think of when Pharaoh hardened his heart. That was his pride that hardened his heart. It says that Jesus rebuked the hardness of the, the disciples' heart because they did not believe. So when we come to an area in our life and, and we realize that our, we've been deriving life, we've been deriving our, our feeling of success, our feeling of spirituality from something other than Jesus Christ, we could start with pride and unbelief. Do we... Are we dependent on our own skills and our own power? And do we really believe God's word to be true in this situation? So there's the stony heart here. And then we come to the thorns. We've all heard this one a hundred times. He that received the seed among the thorns is he that hears the word and the care of this world. The seedfulness of riches and chokes out the word and he becomes unfruitful. I just want to look at that one phrase where it says he becomes unfruitful. How many times in my life have I seen this cycle play out? You go to a seminar, you go to a youth camp, everything seems like, yeah, that's right, let's prioritize, let's make changes. And then the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches come in, and we become unfruitful. It's like the fruit was starting to come, but then, but then we just our priorities overtake our intentions, and we're left empty. It chokes out that fruit, and then another year goes by, or another two years goes by, and no fruit. There's nothing in our lives to show that we were ever, that we'd ever received the seed that come to us. And why is it? It's because we didn't, we didn't count it as worth our time, essentially. When we, when we let the deceitfulness of riches and, and the cares of this world speak to us louder than the hope of the kingdom, then we have said that the kingdom is not worth as much as the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And I understand how that works. I own my own business. I know how it is. You want to make more money. you got to go after it. But somehow in all that, we want to bear fruit. Somehow we want to keep the only thing, the real thing. We want to keep our reality focused on what is real and not what is here tangible that we can touch, taste, and feel. And I think we can only look at our own hearts. But the good news is that Jesus told us this. This is no condemnation to us. Because see, had Jesus not told us this, when his word was spread in our hearts, we would not understand our responses, would we? And if we didn't understand our responses, we wouldn't know why there was a lack of fruit in our life, would we? But Jesus, in his grace, says, Look, look look! how you're reacting right now. Look at your motivation. Look at your heart. I can fix that. I can remove that. What is it? Your ignorance? Is it your, your apathy that's caused you to be like the wayside? He said, I can, I can motivate you by the mercies of Jesus. I can, I can, I can make this relationship real. And then you'll want to hear. What is it? The stony heart where we're, we're offended by the word. We're offended by what it requires of us. We're offended about where it's taken us. He says, come to me. Turn over to Matthew 11. This is the proclamation of the kingdom. he says come to me all that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart you shall find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light that is the hope If you are converted, what did he say to the disciples? The disciples were evidencing almost all these soil types at that moment when he was speaking to them. And yet he said, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Jesus doesn't come to condemn you and say, look at that problem spot in your life. You're all screwed up. Jesus comes and says, I can make it better. I can make it look like me. I can take out the stony heart and put in a heart of flesh. I can make it right. I can make it so that the word becomes your life source instead of the source of your offense. I can make it so that your life has purpose instead of is wasted and squandered. So that's the hope of the gospel. That's the word of the kingdom. Is that it comes to you and gives you every opportunity for life and for godliness. Why did he come? That we might have life and life more abundantly. How many good things has has he withheld from those who walk uprightly? Zero, right? Is Christ in us? Then Christ walked uprightly. Then how many good things will he withhold from us? He with good heart who receiving the word, heard the word, and kept it with patience. He bore forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. But he couldn't help but bear forth fruit. The fruit was there because the nature was changed. Don't attempt to turn Christianity into one of the other world religions and work your way to God. Why did Jesus say, unless your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God? It was a standard of the gospel to say, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. There's no way. But I've made a way. And if you are here this morning unconverted, then he invites you in. If you're here this morning converted and you see in yourself the bad soils, you see in yourself unfruitfulness and barrenness. Was it ever the problem of the seed? Was it ever how the seed was delivered? Was it ever the external pressures of the world? It was never any of those things. Was it even the devil who came and stole away the seed? It was never any of those things, was it? What needs fixed is within your power to fix. Because Jesus Christ, the living God, lives in your heart. Do not limit your Savior. If you've had an addiction for 50 years, He can set you free. If you've had a condition forever, He can heal you. His mercy knows no bounds. And what we do not understand, he said, He who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally, without reproach. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father, the Father of lights, in whom there is no change, not a shadow of variance. So he always wants for you the best. So everything else you've heard about him, everything else that you think about that will squash or or, or ruin your personality, those are all lies. Those are the funny mirrors that you've held out because the word says that at his right hands are pleasures forevermore. Because his word says everything that pertains to life and godliness is in these pages. Because the word says it, that means everything else you've believed is a lie. So you have the opportunity this morning to lay it all down and say, I know that I can trust you. I lean not on my own understanding. But in all my ways, I acknowledge you because you, you direct my steps. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. See, that fruit, that's the benefits of salvation. We don't chase the fruit. We don't strive for the fruit. We don't push out the fruit. The fruit comes as a result of our changed nature. The benefits of the gospel are the fruit of our salvation. And Jesus invites you, he says, ho, everyone that thirsts, come and drink. Come and drink the water of no price that will cost you nothing. I want to leave you with this verse John actually preached out of this chapter. But hopefully it means something. A little bit more to you this morning having heard the parable of the sower. 55.11, just listen. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth it shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. For you shall go out with joy. You shall be led forth with peace. All the mountains, the hills, they will break forth in singing. Mountains and hills, a lot of times in the scriptures, are about our hard things. It's about the things that are stopping us. It's about the obstacles. The mountains and hills will break forth before you singing. And the trees of the field will clap their hands. Now here comes what I thought was a really cool promise. For our thorny hearers, for the stony hearts, for the wayside. He says, Instead of the thorn, will come up, The fir tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, an everlasting sign that will never be cut off. You can be like a tree planted by the water. That's the promise. And that is the glorious hope of the gospel, is that though we have tried and though we have fallen, though we have failed and though we have hated everything that is true and good, God still extends his mercy to us. And even now this morning, wherever we're at in our journey to grow up into him in all things, whatever frustrations we are even now struggling with, whatever shortcomings in our life that we know hold us back from being like Jesus, he comes and says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. It's easy, it's light. You'll find rest for your souls. Read the book of Hebrews. It's all about rest. It's not about effort and striving and pushing and being. He says, labor into the rest work to get into the rest because there is a rest set aside for those that love jesus let's pray heavenly father we are an undeserving people we are needy people god we need you every hour if we do not hear your voice god we we cannot come but we thank you that this morning we've heard your voice god i thank you this morning god that you are by your spirit even now Going through the rows and ministering to us, God. Let you can you can patch us up, you can heal those things that hurt, God, you can fix those things that are broken. God, you can make us right. And most of all, Father, you can make us look like you, which brings you glory, which is our greatest joy, Father. Change us, Father. Let our nature represent your nature, God. May when we come before you on that final day, God, may we stand before you and look just like you are. Because this is our hope. This is why we purify ourselves, Father. This is why we enter that rest, God, because we want you. We want you for your own sake, God, just for you as you are and nothing else, Father. Teach us. Teach us how to do that, Father. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.